this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the concept of intensity. Now, we see whether in tennis or in any other sport, uh, athletes of all types, professional athletes, collegiate athletes, adult and junior athletes as well, um, who seem to perform at their best at very different levels of intensity. We see players who come in very serious, uh, try to pump themselves up. Um, an example of this might be in the NFL. If we look at maybe a linebacker or someone like Ray Lewis, who goes through a, a whole pregame um, routine of you know pumping himself up and as well as pumping his teammates up. So we see some athletes who seem to perform at their best at very high levels of intensity. Um, uh, we're on the other side, we see some athletes who seem to, you know, seem to by design um, go through an intentional process of staying very loose prior to competition. Um, one example there is would be Nick Kyrgios, where, you know, he's hanging out. He maybe has his basketball jersey on, um, then decides to put on his tennis shoes at some point. Um, and just sort of goes out there, you know, we also see a lot of athletes listening to music before, um, before performance. Um, but the, in general, we, we see a, definitely a, quite a range, um, in, in the level of intensity that athletes bring to the court and to the court or to the field and in their domain. And, um, in this episode, we're going to talk about, uh, how these different levels of arousal can be manipulated, how, as as athletes, as as coaches, as well, working with athletes, um, we can help to f- to figure out and to realize what levels of arousal are best for us. Um, bringing in some of the research as well, um, and how we can use that to ultimately perform at our best. Thinking about what we can do in preparation of a performance, as well as during the performance itself. I think a good way to start, Josh even to explain the concept might be uh, to go over what in sports psychology is called the inverted U theory. And uh, just think of a graph, maybe that looks like, I think it basically looks exactly like a bell curve where you have, uh, you know, starting off kind of low and then you get a nice high piece as you get to the middle and then it starts to come back down again. And uh, it's a good way to explain the general principle. It doesn't, actually necessarily meet with every single athlete as we'll get into everybody's got an individual place and and you mentioned that but essentially the graph explains two things or the relationship of two things one is your level of play versus in intensity so on the x-axis going from left to right would be intensity on the y-axis going from bottom to top would be your level of play And so if you're able to graph kind of a bell curve here on that, what we see is in general, when intensity is low, we don't play as well. And that could be maybe we're flat for some reason. Maybe we don't care enough. And then there's a lot that goes into arousal in in intensity. Like I guess arousal is really more kind of a combination of anxiety as well as intensity and that mixture. Um, But as arousal increases, level of play tends to increase, but only to a point. And there's a point where it may peak or maybe there's a zone where it peaks. And beyond that, our arousal level, as it continues to increase, performance begins to decrement, goes down for various reasons. And it might be that 
we begin to lose control of our motor skills because we're just overly excited. Our decision-making skills, same thing. We, we lose control of that. We may um, not be able to manage our emotions as well as we get further and further along on that arousal curve, and then it tends to tends to flatten out. So I think that's a good way to understand the whole concept because our with arousal as it goes up to a certain point, it increases our ability to to perform. Uh, but beyond that, it goes down. Now in different sports, Josh, you mentioned you know like an American football player, NFL linebacker, the level of intensity to play that position may be very different than a tennis player uh, who's beginning a match. And there are different types of sports. You know, that particular position within football, we would probably call a gross motor skill position, where a tennis player is what we would call a fine motor skill sport. There's a lot of technical aspects to it, to be precise, etc. Um, perhaps being an NFL linebacker doesn't necessarily require the same level of precision as, as, as a tennis player, not to denigrate being an NFL linebacker, right? That's obviously a very important position in that sport. You have to be completely knowledgeable of what, what is happening out there. You have to have your wits about you. Very often, they're in some ways the captains of the defense, right? Um, so not to denigrate that, but it's a different level of uh, skill with respect to technical stuff um, than, say, tennis. And so what, what we see there is in a sport like American football that you can operate at higher levels of intensity and, and maintain control and maintain performance than, say, uh, other sports like tennis, other fine motor skill sports where you have to have a little bit more of a calmer demeanor. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that some players can't be closer to the NFL player than others. You know, you mentioned Nick Kyrgios is being a little bit more laid back. You see it in his posture when he's sitting on the side of the court. It's not always straight up, right? It's very kind of very chill out there. And that works for him. Although, you know, it would be very interesting, I think, to see Nick experiment with something different. Would it make a difference? Who knows? And I think that's part of today's message is how much have you, the listener, experimented with your own levels of arousal on the tennis court and really to discover what, you know, what is your optimal level? Um, because we, we all do operate in different places. There's no, you know, we're not going to talk about a rule today that says this is where you need to be and this is where you'll play your best tennis. Um, I think the goal of today is to help you experiment with some ways of finding that for yourself, but also be willing to experiment, have the courage to try to change some things and uh, you may find another level of your game through this process. Yeah. And uh, I mean, going back to, to Nick Kyrgios, there may be situations perhaps against some of the top players where he is, you know, that does bring out a higher level of arousal, does bring out that higher level of intensity that, you know, may, may work better. But as you're saying, Brian, I, you know, I, I think through trial and error, through our experience, we want to figure out, what works best for us. And sometimes that takes some tinkering. Sometimes we have to test different things out. Um, I think a big, a big piece of this is the awareness is noticing, okay, we, we had a performance and, you know, we've talked about journaling. We've talked about reflecting, trying to reflect in a systematic way 
on our performances. I think a good a good piece to reflect on or at least take note of is what did our intensity intensity level look like out there? Um, did we start the match at a certain level of intensity as the match went on? How did that change? Were, were there certain things that we did to impact our intensity? Were there certain factors out of our control that maybe change that, right? Maybe it's a call by the umpire or by our opponent. Maybe it, maybe the weather had some sort of impact. Maybe it was, you know, what, what sort of food we had in our system, how long we ate ahead of the match. Um, you know, were, were we snacking, you know, what, what were the different factors that contributed to our intensity level? Um, and based on that, based on each performance, um, how did it go? Can we learn from it? Was this our, was this opt? Was this truly optimal for us, um, or do we want to make adjustments? Um, but but being aware of how um, our intensity impacts our performance each time we're out there, and figuring out some way of keeping track of it, whether it's through a journal, whether it's through some sort of chart or, or whatever it may be, um, can go a long way to, so I guess, systemizing our approach and and making improvements on this aspect of things over time. Perhaps on-court reminders can also help us with that. And the on-court reminders could be phrased as questions to you. you know, I think the brain interrogates questions a little bit better than, than statements. So it might be something around, you know, what's your intensity level right now? Or are you playing at your optimal intensity level right mm-hmm. now? Uh, again, building awareness out there. So by asking the question of yourself while you're in the heat of battle, uh, you have to come and answer that and understand how you're feeling. Uh, many of us might go through an entire match without a lack, you know, with some lack of awareness about how we're feeling and what we're doing. And perhaps afterwards, when we're out of the moment, we may realize, oh, you know, at that time at four all in the second set, I wasn't quite there. But I didn't realize it in the moment. And so like you're saying, Josh, the idea of building awareness is so important to mental toughness and mental performance. And so this whole conversation and concept is really a great way to start to inject more awareness into your process, even into how you play your matches. So I think, uh, like you said, journaling, but also can we be asking ourselves a little bit more of those questions while we're performing because um, that's where you're really going to need it at some point. It's hard to make an adjustment if you don't know you need to make an adjustment. So as it, as it relates to adjustments, and I have, I'd certainly have some thoughts here in terms of what, what I've seen effective, what's been effective with me. Um, but what, what are some things that they, you recommend for players if they're, if they're playing and they, um, they recognize, hey, I need to make an adjustment. Either I'm too amped up and too intense out there, uh, maybe the start of a match, right, where somebody's a little bit nervous or anxious going into the performance, maybe feeling jittery, um, or the other way, feeling too laid back, too relaxed, maybe not, you know, not intense or not moving their feet, not, you know, to the point where it's affecting their physical intensity. So if a player can get to that point of, being aware and, and noticing, hey, I need to make an adjustment here. What are some some things that they usage for them to to shift in one direction or the other? I think when we build the awareness piece, uh, there's a lot there actually, right? 
um, that we could we could start with. But if we're trying to figure out what our optimal arousal and intensity level is, one thing that we can do is study some of our best performances mm-hmm. and look at various components that may go into that arousal intensity piece. Uh, so, for example, um, yeah, what was your anxiety level in your best performance? Um, to what extent were you enjoying what you were doing? What were you focusing on? What were your levels of confidence, et cetera, right? So there could be a number of factors or components of performance that you could study in your best performances and see if there's some consistency between those. And there probably, there probably is some consistency between that. And then, okay, if we know that that's a state that we perform well in, what can we be doing before a match to help us get in that state intentionally rather than organically? Uh, very often, like you said, maybe we ate something or had a particularly good night of sleep and we're not really understanding exactly why we felt great that day. But if we can, uh, in a way, decompose what happened and reverse engineer the process, maybe we can be more intentional about feeling that way. So I think that's one thing everybody can do. And it's a fun activity. Go back and think about some of your best matches of your career and and try to look at it from a intensity, confidence, pressure, um, you know, was I in control? You could really even look at like the aspects of being in z- the zone or in flow and see how those components played out. Um, not that you know, it's very difficult to get into the zone or flow in tennis, but um, it's it's good to understand you know in terms of components where where you might be. So I think that's a good first thing, and and really trying to come up with some intentional ways of feeling that way. Um, and it may involve things like let's say you're better on the low intensity side or you're feeling nervous. Like you said, there are a lot of players who may feel their heart beating in their chest. It's uh, difficult to think. Perhaps you feel a little jittery with your muscles. And if that's something that happens to you often, you really want to begin working on yourself long before you get onto the court. Start some breathing, Um, start addressing why you are feeling nervous? What is, what is, you know, are, are there things that you're afraid of? Are these things that you can control? Um, and, and maybe reframing or reframing things in such a way that you're not feeling that pressure or anxiety. From a physical perspective, you can use your diaphragmic breathing. And especially um, breathing in which you're, you're doing it within a rhythm where inhale, exhales are longer than inhales. It can help mm-hmm. lower the heart rate a little bit. Um, and if you can be doing that for several minutes, there are some websites that can actually, you can set up the time of your inhales, your pauses, your exhales, use something like that to begin to, to settle your, your system down. And, and we've talked a lot here about how breathing is a great means of managing your body chemistry and helping you to turn your mind back on so you can make good decisions, be more rational when you're out there. Um, and I think that's especially useful for the player who maybe is feeling a little over-aroused, a little bit too much anxiety or feeling too much pressure. Um, so that can happen. Um, this is part of what you're doing to get ready. I felt that way 
at times. Nice. And um, what normally has happened in those cases is yeah, often will settle down as the match goes along. But those initial stages are, they burn really um, important reserves of energy. Yeah. Quickly. And getting into a, a, a tough match, long two-setter, or getting into a third, you've, you've burned so much energy on that, that anxiety and nervousness that you're not going to have as much left near the end. Or at least that's been my experience um, with that. So um, I think those are some good ways to, you know, the, the breathing, bouncing up and down, uh, shaking out your muscles more to get more relaxed. Um, I think those are some good ways for people who are a little bit too high, higher than their optimal level, where they may not play as well. You know, they might settle down, um, but they might not. And uh, sometimes it's a sign that when you're too aroused, there's just too much, you know, your hormonal balance is off to an extent that makes it very hard to correct during a match. Yeah. No, that, that that's true, and I think there's, I, I think I think there the, um, there's a lot of good suggestions there in terms of you know what somebody can do, whether it's um, something more physical like like shaking out your arms or um, you know trying to release some of that physical tension or breathing, and uh, you know breathing in an intentional way where you're slowing down that exhale and where you know that the exhale is longer than the inhale, as you said. And, um, I mean, and, and we see this at the, at the professional level too. Um, Iga Sviantek, as we've talked about, has been seen doing this. Bianca Andreescu, um, Djokovic, we, we've certainly seen him using intentional breathing a lot, um, on court and, and pre-match as well. So, you know, the, the, these are cer- certainly helpful things that we can do if our levels of intensity are too high. Um, to the point of leading to too much stress or anxiety. Um, on the other side of things, if we have to, if we're feeling flat, right. And, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's something that is out of our control in a certain way. Maybe we didn't sleep well, or we ate something that didn't react well with us. Um, but even in that moment, there are certain things we can do, whether it's, um, breathing and more emphasizing the inhale, um, in that moment, whether it's, you know, you see players sometimes almost like slapping at their, their thighs and trying to pump themselves up that way. Um, I think also certain types of self-talk could be helpful in that situation. Like, let's go, like, here we go. Like, um, also focusing on, on that next point, especially maybe if you're feeling tired, um, feeling a lack of intensity where thinking maybe too far ahead of yourself can can be a little bit overwhelming really that focus on that next point which is certainly something we've talked a lot about um but almost that reminder to yourself to to give that full intensity going into that next point so using your self-talk in a intentional way to almost be able to push back push past whatever sort of is causing that that lack of intensity whether it's tiredness whether it's um, whatever it is, whether it's something not sitting well with you physically, when we talked about the food or the sleep, um, or, 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 I mean, also with some people, uh, feeling nervous about a performance could manifest in a different way, could manifest in terms of that low level of intensity. Could, it could almost be, um, not, not a cop-out, but almost, um, appearing in a, in an opposite way to, to how it, 
shows with other people where some people are more on the jittery or nervous side and, and others that that same emotion is just expressed differently. Um, but I think having the tools, whether it be, you know, breathing in an intentional way, whether it be um, the self-talk, whether it be something more physical, like slapping at your leg or like, you know, reminding yourself about that next point. I think there is a lot that you could do um, regardless of, which side of the spectrum you're feeling on in terms of intensity. But really that first piece is being aware enough in the moment. I mean, I find that, you know, oftentimes if, if a player is not playing well, it can be tough to identify in the moment what's wrong to sort of diagnose the situation. Is it your level of intensity that's off? Is it the strategy piece? Is it something more technical? Um, is it a combination of factors? But so um, that, you know, we, we talk a lot about how we spend time in between points. And cer- certainly that's something that um, I think most players can benefit from really maximizing that time. But during a changeover, during the break in between sets, when you have a little bit more time, that can be, in my view, that can be a great time to spend a little bit more time analyzing the situation and analyzing, hey, if I'm if I'm down four one here, or if it's, you know, things aren't going well, I'm, I'm clearly not playing my best. What, where, where's the issue? And if, and if you identify that the intensity is the problem or part of the problem, then having the tools to increase or lower that intensity as needed is, is a critical skill. Your mention of self-talk reminded me of uh, a video that one of, uh, one of my colleagues, Dr. Greg Matuskevich sent me. It's of Aaron Donald plays, Defensive tackle for the Los Angeles Rams, the NFL. They are going to be in the Super Bowl coming up, you know, uh, when we're recording this. That hasn't been played yet. And he's got this um, essentially like a self-talk script that he goes through. And there's a video that shows him going through it. And he's saying, you know, um, this is everything you've trained for, how bad you want it, be aggressive. This is the time. And he's just really giving himself this this. Um, these messages, this self-talk script that is getting him into the right place. So I think we should um, put a link to this, Josh, into uh, into the into the show notes because even though yeah, it's a different sport, he's got some great things in there. He's like controlled aggression, controlled aggression. Come on, make the big play, make the big play, and he's just he's he's priming his mind for exactly how he wants to play, and it's really pretty cool to watch him go through this and he's just walking back and forth while the team is doing their pregame warm-up. So, you know, a couple of the teammates will come up to him during the video, but he's just, you know, back and forth, back and forth pacing. And he's got this self-talk script going through his mind um, to get him to that right place. But at the same time, it's also priming his mind to play and act in accordance with how he knows is his best. For those not familiar with, you know, American football, you know, Aaron Donald is one of the better uh, guys at his position and is a big part of uh, the Los Angeles Rams success this season. So I think it is it's great to use something like self-talk, come up with your own script that helps you. It may not be this hype. It might be something that's more chill again, that that, you know, you're uh, is more toward your optimal level. You know, in terms of finding that optimal level, um, I think we've mentioned this on a past episode, Josh, but when we, when we discuss experimenting with it, we literally mean you should experiment 
with it. You should, perhaps with somebody who is a good, trusted training partner, go out there and try to be super chill and see what happens. And, you know, and that's like one extreme. It's almost like we're trying to find the Goldilocks zone, right? We're going to like really chill and then play a couple games where you're super hype and you're playing really fast between points and, and see how that feels. And maybe one of those will resonate a little bit more than the other. And then try to find that middle zone of where you think your best is. Because it's, it's possible that maybe your set point, everybody sort of has a set point, I think, with this, even off the court. Some of us are calmer. Others are a little bit more excitable. Um, that your set point might not be your optimal performance point. I know for me, that's pretty much the case. I'm relatively calm, I think, off the court. Um, but if I'm too calm on the court, I tend to get passive in what I do. And while I can play there, I, I wouldn't frame that as my best level. My best level, I think, is when I'm a little bit more intense, a little bit more energy at a place where I'm taking more control of points rather than passively just counter-punching, which is what I can sink into if my intensity level has not been you know, intentionally brought to where it needs to go. So it is possible that what you bring to the court by default may not be exactly what you need. So I think experimenting with that. Um, you know, I had gotten that concept from two women who run a golf school in Arizona called Vision 54. So um, Lynn Marriott and Pia Nielsen. Um, and they have some excellent books that even though they're about golf, there's some great tips in there that we as tennis players could use. You know, their, their discussion of rhythm, tempo, and balance completely apply to tennis as well, especially when it comes to serving. The one thing that we're in total control of, like, you know, are you aware of your rhythm, tempo, and balance on the serve? Is it possible that serving issues are more due to that than other aspects? So, um, and they have this concept of, of, you know, playing with higher intensity, playing with lower intensity, you know, trying it from hole to hole and so forth. We could do the exact same thing so that when people can find their optimal intensity, it doesn't look like that very normal uh, bell curve shape. Your, the sort of the, the high part of your, um, you know, of your curve could be uh, maybe very close to a lower intensity, or it could be very close to a higher intensity, or like where that hump is, is going to change. Um, and so, yeah, this is all about you finding your optimal individualized zone so that you can play your best more consistently. Because like we've been saying, if you have more awareness of it, then you can get there more intentionally and more consistently. Absolutely. And, and what you're saying actually reminds me of our conversation with Jeff Greenwald. Um, one of our uh, previous interviews, um, Jeff works with you know number of tennis players and other other athletes, and talks a lot about playing loose, feeling loose, and playing loose. Um, and as you're saying, you know, experimenting with um, this during practice, spending time. Okay, I, I think he breaks it down into a one one through ten scale. So saying, okay, if, if a one is your loosest, play some points at a one be really loose, you know, almost, almost to the point of joking around or maybe, you know, not caring as much um, and play some points at a 10, 
a nine or a 10 and be, you know, really intense, um, you know, almost to the, almost to the point of, you know, not, you know, stressing yourself out over that next point and, um, you know, bringing, bringing that, that physical and mental intensity to the, to that absolute highest level and then figure out, you know, say, okay, if that's what a one looks like, if that's what a 10 looks like, what does a five look like? Okay. Wh- where's that seven? Where's a three? And then over time you can start to realize what works best for you. And then maybe there's certain times in a match. Maybe there are certain situations where you want to adjust that dial where, okay, maybe I generally play best at a six or a seven where I'm a little bit closer to the you know higher intensity side, but maybe there's certain, maybe when I'm serving for a match, I know from past experience, I tend to get really tense in that, in that situation. Maybe that's when I need to bring back that dial a little bit um, and not get too loosey goosey out there, but um, find ways to lower that tension um, through breathing, through, you know, self-talk or through, you know, really taking our time in between points. You mentioned Brian, that some players play faster than others, right? I mean, we see this on the, on the pro tour, certainly. Um, and, you know, you, you can be intentional with how you use that time in between points, as we've talked about a lot, but also how much, uh, what does your tempo look like in terms of how you're controlling the pace of play as the server? Um, so, you know, th- these are all things that you can experiment with. If you're a high school or collegiate athlete, you can spend that time over, you know, over the course of a season or, or over your off season to, to try some of these things out. Um, or, or as any athlete, if you're an adult athlete playing in USTA leagues or tournaments, um, certainly use that time as well in between tournaments, um, to, or in between matches to really figure out, Hey, what's, what's working best for me here. Um, is there a certain type of tempo that, um, I perform best with, um, and what are the certain moments in matches maybe where I need to adjust that dial? In our episode on clutch performances, I think we got into that as well. Typically, not always, but typically uh, in, in clutch moments, raising one's intensity and focus is a good idea. Um, that doesn't mean rushing. I think that sometimes we confuse a concept like intensity as both mental and physical. We can, I think have a physical appearance of being in control while still having a mental state of high intensity. Um, Because if if you look at things like characteristics of being in the zone or being in flow, they don't, they, they might appear at first as being somewhat contradictory. So for example, in the zone, we're typically relaxed, like physically. Like our, our muscles are loose, our mind is calm, but there's also a level of optimal intensity in there. And one of the things I will do with athletes is we, we talk about their body language on the court and we use the, the, the term presence, which is really something that Amy Cuddy um, kind of coined with respect to our body language, right? Having a presence. And so I'll ask a player, Tell me what kind of presence you want to have. It's really easy to say have a positive presence, but that's very, I think, vague. 
Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? Um, and and so one of the players I work with, she chose uh, calm intensity as her presence. I'm like, that's very good. You know, she's 14, really self-aware. I think that's an excellent combination. And, and I think using at least two adjectives to describe your optimal presence is a very good um, way, again, of building awareness and then asking yourself, hey, do I have calm intensity? And I think when we look at great performance, calm intensity is really, for most of us, is probably what we need, especially in clutch moments. Um, you know, because the opposite of calm would be, you know, sort of panicking, you know, or rushing, that type of thing. So there may be some perhaps seemingly contradictory things that go along with this, um, but that's okay because I think actually that's really where if we can separate how we want the body feeling from what we're also thinking about, that's, you know, they can work together. You can have a calm body yet still be very, very intense. Um, I think when we introduce maybe some other negative emotions, you know, frustration and anger, those, those can take over the body. Those can really drive a lot of, a lot of different things. You know, as we've talked, I think we even talked a bit about this in our previous episode, um, when we recap the Australian Open, that, um, while anger may be useful at times for certain players, it's very difficult emotion to, to engage with and, um, you know, and how we do that. So I think if people could look at their own body language, their own presence on the court, coming up with some adjectives to help them define what they think that would be optimally, and maybe that's after some experimentation like with the, the Jeff Greenwald method um, of building awareness on that, I think that'd be really helpful. You know, um, like Josh, you said you've experimented with some of these things. Do you, do you have a sense of what, what kind of presence you bring to the court like that or that you would optimally want to bring to the court to perform your best? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I, I actually think similar to what you were saying, I would also say that I perform better when I'm more on the intense side, maybe at around a seven, even going into a, maybe closer to an eight um, where I, you know, want to, uh, if you watch me play, I'll, I'll often be trying to, you know, pump myself up in between points, trying to make sure that I'm, um, you know, bringing that full level of focus um, and, and, you know, making sure that, that my own intensity is high and it doesn't slip because I find with my own game, it, it has a lot to do with um, how I move my feet. If I'm low in intensity, I'll often be pretty lazy with my feet. I won't do the, the little things right that we know make, make a big difference. Like, like my footwork, like maybe using my legs on my serve, um, like the split step, you know, things, things like that, that we know make a big difference and could can, can often be the difference maker. Um, so I, I know, you know, I, I would also sort of describe myself as being um, maybe lower intensity or more laid back off the court in general. But I think when I'm, and, and also maybe during training, I, I would say I, I am closer to that side of things. And I, um, where during competition, I'm, I'm on the other side. And I think there's also an interesting discussion to be had about as, as it relates to this topic and intensity, what do we want our intensity during practice to look like? If we identify that we perform best at maybe a seven or eight, let's just say, or maybe on the other side of things. Um, but let's say we, we figure out that we perform best 
during um, performance at a certain level, how can we optimize practice to, to replicate that? We've talked about how we want our practice environment to, you know, to replicate, to replicate matches and to incorporate some of these aspects of pressure and of consequences. Um, So, you know, I, I would say one thing I could work on is bringing my own practice intensity to a closer level so that on match day doesn't, it's not a matter of me increasing my intensity, but I, I can, you know, hopefully through practice get to that point where it's as automatic as possible. Um, I, I think to our, to our previous discussion about the, this concept of being, you know, mentally versus physically tight, there's actually a great quote by, by Arthur Ashe that I think fits in well here um, where he says the ideal attitude is to be physically loose and mentally tight. So very, very similar to what, we've been talking about and how I think mental tightness, you know, being tight mentally is a matter of being, making sure that you're, that you're aware of everything that you need to do, making sure that you're focused, making sure that you're thinking about your strategy, thinking about what adjustments need to be made, aware of your opponent, thinking about all all these different aspects of this concept of, you know, tennis IQ or of being an, you know, intelligent and aware, um, tennis player, um, where if you're mentally loose, you may be easily distractible. You may be easily irritable. You're not going to be as focused on the task at hand as focused on your mission and everything that you're trying to do. So I think that that quote really fits in well with, with this overall topic. Not that we can, but it'd be interesting to ask him to explain that a little bit more deeply because you can hear mentally tight and mm, that doesn't sound exactly right. But I mean, the way you explained it is good. I mean, it's really, I think, being having a, a good grasp of what you're trying to do, staying in control. You know, when you contrast that with mentally loose, that sounds like you're, you don't have discipline on what you're doing. You might be reckless in your decision making or shot choice where being, you know, maybe you're sort of tightening up what you're doing more than tight in terms of nerves and feeling pressure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe there, are, I think it is a good quote that maybe there are better ways of phrasing it so people don't take it the wrong way. Um, but there are consequences for different actions in tennis, you know, and we've talked about how it's really important to make, um, you know, especially at the elite level, you got to make, got to have the ability to make a lot of balls, right? Now, not all points are very long. If you look at, you know, a lot of the data that Craig O'Shaughnessy puts together, most points are four shots and under. That's true. Um, but that doesn't mean that these players are missing easy shots, or maybe some of them are. But the top players, when required, can find the court from anywhere, right? If they can reach the ball, they can make the shot. And that, Andy Roddick pointed out, is one of the the biggest differences between, say, uh, an elite pro and an elite college player is that when in a difficult position, an elite pro can find a big, fat part of the court where the next level down, and these are very good players, you know, elite college players, they tend to go for smaller parts of the court Therefore, they miss more. And, um, and so 
when we have a mindset, and maybe this is about being mentally tight, right? Because Arthur Ashe was a top professional player. <clears throat> you have to know how to find those big zones in the court when you're in difficult positions. And you watch any match, and we could even go back to what Medvedev said about being being like Novak. Um, you know, when he was in a difficult position in, in one of his matches in Australia, it's about finding the court, making the opponent work hard. That is really part of the formula for learning to be a champion, to be a winner. Um, and I think we had mentioned this concept in our last podcast episode. Before you learn to win, you have to learn how not to lose. And perhaps being, like with Arthur Ashe saying, being mentally tight, really having a, a mindset of you've got a lot of discipline with what you're doing, not being loose mentally, not making poor decisions, uh, that that is part of your formula for learning how to win and not give away matches. So I think that's, that's an interesting quote. I, I wish he were still here to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, by being um, mentally tight and by being, you know, made sort of buttoned up and making sure that you're doing, doing the little things, right. Controlling the controllables as, as we talk a lot about um, that's, that's how you can make sure that, that you're, you know, as much as possible, not beating yourself. Um, there's a great quote. It's, it's tough to beat somebody who doesn't beat themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think we see that a lot at different levels of play, certainly at, at the junior levels and, you know, at, at adult levels as well. Um, and, and as well as at the professional level, I can certainly think of examples where pro players, college players, um, you know, elite players beat themselves and whether it's, um, by making, you know, mental mistakes out there, whether it's by not picking up on a tactic that our opponent is doing against us or, um, a weakness that's being exploited, um, or by letting our you know frustration and emotions boil over to the point where we're not able to find our best tennis or find our best level of intensity because we're out of control. Um, but but the, these are all ways that what we're talking about, um, and these are all controllable factors so that you um, severely lower the chances of beating yourself. Of you know you you make it a match because you're not taking yourself out of it. So, um, no, I, I think that's a great point. I think, um, I, I think another question is as we, as we go through that process of starting to figure out what our ideal intensity looks like, um, how can we, how can we best use that time during a match to, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is to, to figure out if it's working for us on that particular day to, adjust or to tinker maybe in the moment could be tougher, but it may, maybe it's more from a seven to a six in that moment, or maybe it's, you know, making that small adjustment as needed. Um, noticing, Hey, this isn't, this isn't working for me right now or something needs to, something needs to be changed. Um, I think especially as it relates to the emotion piece where, okay, I, I know I play better with high intensity, but I also know that the one of the potential drawbacks of that could be that at times that that means that I'm maybe more prone to negative emotions or to frustration. So how can I maybe at, at certain moments 
uh, pull back a little bit using the breathing, using, you know, certain routines, taking our time a little bit more um, so that you can go into that next point um, with the, the type of presence um, that, that you want, that's going to give you that best chance in that next point. I think as we've been saying, it's a lot about experimentation and figuring that out and practicing it and um, not expecting anything to change right away, you know, with respect to training your optimal intensity, it will take some time. Uh, just like learning anything, any particular skill within tennis, um, especially as we get better and better, the skills become harder. Uh, not that many people say learn a kick serve in, in, a, in an hour. It takes practice. It could take months. For some, it could take years. And finding this may take that kind of longer process. Uh, it may not happen one day. Um, so I think it's having that patience, Josh, like you're saying, to experiment with these different things. And I think the message should be, especially let's, let's say you're in a match like your scenario, and you realize that where you are perhaps is not working. Do you make the change or not? I mean, I think the idea would be have the courage to make the change. So many of us, when we're in matches and we're losing, we continue to play the same way. Even though the we're playing a losing game to a certain extent, um, we've got to make some sort of adjustment, whether it's having the courage to play more toward your A game or having the courage to completely change things and go to some sort of you know disruptive sabotage style of play. Um, continuing to play just exactly the same is not uh, optimal. I think Todd Martin mentioned that while he loves Rafael Nadal, he hates seeing guys go out there and just try to out-Rafa Rafa. And it generally doesn't work, and it's, it's not a very courageous way to play. You have to um, play differently. And I think he, he was referring back to that final in which Medvedev played Rafa and um, started disrupting Rafa's game more, and that he admired that in what Medvedev did in that final. So um, if we're feeling in a match that the arousal or intensity level isn't where we need it to be, have the courage to try to change it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to lose? I mean, that's not, you can learn from that. Nothing really, truly terrible is going to happen, but you'll feel better for having tried to make an adjustment. You can learn from that. And, and who knows, maybe it works. Maybe you find something that allows you to get yourself back in, into a match. So I think when it comes to should I make an adjustment, um, as, you know, if, as long as you're not – like if you're winning, I don't think you need to do that necessarily and you feel good about how you're playing. Obviously, they're not going to make that, that change. But if things are not going well, you don't feel like you're playing at your optimal best um, – what do you have to lose for having the courage to make that make that change? The thing that's holding you back is some fear that it might not work or, or some other fear. We don't want that fear to stop us from doing what is more important. You know, more important would be learning, playing to win, uh, really exploring your own self-awareness. Uh, that's, that, that's more important than any, you know, perhaps irrational fears you'd have while playing. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think 
keeping, as you said, keeping things um, in perspective a little bit, like, Hey, no matter what, even if I lose this match here, I can, I can learn from it. I can draw, you know, valuable insights from it. So let's not, you know, let's keep it in perspective. Let's understand, you know, what, what this is and not, um, make too much of this, you know, be afraid to make an adjustment here. Um, but let's, you know, if, if it's, if it's not working, if my game plan's not working, if there's different tactics I've been trying out there, haven't been working, the, the, it's the time. It's time to to make a change. Um, and that change might be something strategic, paired with that change in intensity, um, to figure out what works best. And then you know, maybe you you use that journal and you 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 make note of that. Hey, I started off that match really slowly. I didn't have that intensity. Um, I, I wasn't moving my feet. I I wasn't. I, th- I think that that also is going to be correlated to maybe not being as a as aware of what the opponent is doing or as, um, you know, picking up on some of these things, but I made an adjustment. I, um, increased my intensity. I, you know, was started really moving my feet, take, you know, taking these small steps, um, small adjustment steps to get to the ball, creating space and, um, was able to dig my way back into the match. And that's certainly the type of situation you can learn from and you can draw from, Hey, how can we next time around, start off the match in a different way. What can I do in my pre-match routine? Maybe I use music um, as a way to pump myself up as a way to increase my intensity. Maybe there's certain self-talk or certain phrases that I say to myself prior to a match to, um, you know, to amp myself up um, things that I've you know practiced before things that I've come up with sort of scripted it out um, that I know is going to increase my intensity level, increase my, focus so that, you know, you can start off the match in the way that you want to. Um, but it's a, it's a process like, like anything it's, you know, it takes time to figure out what works best for you. And, you know, as, as a lifelong learner, as somebody who's constantly trying to be a student of the game, um, it's, it's a process that, that never ends. You're always trying to figure out what works best for you. And on, on a certain day, it might look a little bit different than on, on another day. And it can be a good idea also to connect with your your motivation for why you play the sport, why you compete. Uh, a big aspect of competitiveness is, of course, wanting to win, but a bigger aspect of it is the desire to compete. The belief that competing in itself is a process that will help improve my game. Uh, you know, and then sort of the next level down is this, this strong desire to win. Some might even phrase it as hating to lose, uh, you know, some have, and then that can work as well. But it's really this desire to be competing. And um, can that be part of the thought process before you play? It's like, I love competing. I love playing the game. This is why I go out here to challenge myself to see how good I can be. And sometimes when we use that challenge mindset, embracing the challenge, we can be more prepared for some of the things that will inevitably go wrong out there. Um, and the more prepared we are for that, the more uh, we'll be able to shift back to being in control. But I do think, you know, from a pre-match perspective, embracing our own competitiveness or perhaps even working on that more, embracing competition as a necessary way of getting better, wanting to be in competition. So talk to yourself about that but also your motivation for playing the sport. 
about getting better. Um, you know, maybe it's also about this is a particular life project for you and, and, and playing tournaments is part of that life project or playing matches or playing league is part of that. And, and we're all trying to be the best we can at this life project of tennis. Um, again, good perspective setting, but also good for driving that intrinsic motivation of this is what we this is what we're trying to do this is what we want to do. I want to be in this situation. And, and for some who may be threatened by competition, that's definitely uh, a conversation and some uh, awareness and motivation work that you'll want to do is to learn to understand that competition is not a, it's not a threat to who you are as a human being or as a tennis player. It actually is an enabler. It will help make you better and better. And you will become better for these challenges. It's just a matter of uh, learning to, to deal with them. So I think that's a, a, a good thing to plug into before matches. It can be really healthy energy to plug into. That d- definitely. Definitely. I think before matches, that's a good time. And maybe um, we've talked about putting together some sort of you know index card or some sort of note card about certain important um, factors, whether they're more on the mental side, more on the strategic or um, you know technical side, but maybe it's something about having to do with that motivation, remembering why you play, remembering what you're you know w- what you're trying to do in terms of the, you know the type of person you're trying to become, the type of tennis player you're trying to become. Putting some of that motivation on that card could be helpful, so that if you look at it, you know at the end of the warm up or you look at it on a changeover, it's that reminder. We've talked about reminder systems, but, um, you know, having that in the heat of the moment, it can be really tough to remember every, everything or, or to keep a lot of things in mind. So to have that reminder system to um, be able to look back at it and, and you know, almost have that be something that, hey, oh, th- this is something that um, is important to keep in mind, whether it's, you know, something more strategic or some, you know, a mental perspective, but also having that motivation in mind can, I think can really make a big impact. For sure. Yeah. So Josh, great, great conversation. Um, really enjoy talking about intensity because I think we have both felt this in terms of performances on the court and how it can vary and, and, and how changing it and learning more about yourself can lead to, to better and better performances. So definitely um, encourage all the listeners to go back, study some of your best performances, try to figure out what's common between them and, and use that as a guide to managing your arousal and intensity on the court as you prepare for matches. So um, well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag TennisIQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. And you can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.